And good evening, <clears throat> afternoon or morning, wherever you are. Hello, welcome <clears throat> back to another Merged Worlds Dungeons and Dragons story stream podcast thing. <laughs> welcome back. Um, I'm excited to continue with the story, uh, at least the chapter that we started last episode. Um, but before we begin, I did want to say thank you very much to everyone out there who's been watching and listening and supporting this series. Uh, there's been a little uptick lately on both Spotify and iTunes of new followers and uh, a couple new ratings and stars and things like that. So I definitely appreciate everybody out there who has taken the time to uh, follow this, not just on YouTube, but on the different podcast networks as well. Uh, all of your support definitely helps uh, get this story and this podcast into the ears of more and new people. So I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Hello, Gorb. <laughs> uh, also begin right off the bat, for those of you on YouTube, a uh, special thank you to Randy Robinson, who joined our YouTube membership program earlier today. Uh, it popped up here in the stream uh, before uh, we started today, so I did want to call it thank you to that as well. Thank you, Randy. Welcome to the team. All right, so... <clears throat> Uh, we're going to continue with the Mave, Artist, Petal, Ran, and Kip storyline. We're going to be hanging out with them for a while, uh, just like we did Seraph's side for quite a bit of time. Uh, now we're going to be spending some time with this group. We'll start with a brief recap for those of you who uh, may be just joining in. Um, our heroes, our group of friends, were traveling east once again on their search to hopefully catch up with Seraph and his group. Uh, to try to aid him and maybe even help them bring get back home again. Um, the story started, uh, this chapter, with uh, their ship, the Miss Dandelion, uh, unfortunately inside of a huge storm and in the middle of sinking. Um, our heroes managed to escape the ship and make it to shore, uh, but they did lose nearly half of the crew, as well as their captain, uh, Captain Lyman, who had been... Uh, captain of the Miss Dandelion, the name of the ship, uh, for, at this point, over 20 years, uh, and uh, a good friend of the original characters in the story. So uh, his loss was definitely felt by all, especially by Petal, whose mother Dandy, whom the ship was named after, uh, originally hired Lyman on and as her first mate before eventually putting the ship in his hands. Um, making it to shore, uh, Maeve had been injured, but they woke up and found themselves in a community of mostly Minotaurs, although a mixture of humans and a few elves here and there, um, led by a young Minotaur named Brota. Um, Brota was uh, just a couple years older than Maeve, who was also a Minotaur, by the way, and uh, even though he's younger than many of the other Minotaurs there, he is clearly their leader, uh, unspokenly so. Um, and they were surprised, especially Maeve was surprised, to learn that Broda and their community was a group of pacifists, which is very unheard of in the Minotaur society. <clears throat> they had uh, forsaken battle, combat, and killing in uh, order to live lives of peace. They lived near the ocean, near the shore, uh, and they were very much... Uh, living that kind of beach lifestyle, you know, um, spending a time in the ocean, living off the, the seas, fishing, so on and so forth, uh, selling pearls in the nearby cities to trade for um, other supplies that they might need, living very, very uh, basic lives, uh, not needing much, very uncomplicated, I would say, um, living just slightly offshore. Uh, close enough to see the ocean, but far enough away that the average storm would not be a problem. 
Um, and they live in small, like, hut-type things. Uh, most of them, which, uh, a couple of them that are closer to the shore, maybe it's slightly off the ground, but most of them are on the ground. Somebody asked me about that, I wanted to clarify. Yes, they are built on the ground. Um, Broda and the group there uh, helped heal and um, nurse Maeve back to health um, when she woke in to learn of you know what had befallen. Uh, not only had they lost half the crew and Captain Lyman, they lost a lot of their supplies, a lot of their gear, including Maeve's weapons and armors, which she was not wearing at the time that she was trying to keep the ship afloat. Um, the only person who really had some of their stuff was Artis, who had her uh, Hayward Sandy Haversack, a, a magical bag backpack that holds much larger than the bag ships. So she had a lot of their money and some of her basic clothes and stuff in there. Um, well, most of their money as a group was kept in there just for convenience because uh, they're not poor. They, again, most of them are from noble or wealthy families. So they left with a fair amount of coin to be able to pay for the stuff as they're going. Um, uh, but Artis had lost Quintius, which is the magical artifact scepter that she carries, uh, whose, um, I guess you'd say specter, uh, it, it can appear as a uh, young human man his spirit was a young human who, whose spirit is now imbued into the scepter and has been for thousands of years, um, who only she can see um, and talk to, uh, but who had been a guiding force of them on this adventure. Uh, he'd been lost to the seas as well as most of those supplies. Um, other than a couple you know, daggers and knives that might be tucked into belts, they don't have a lot of their weapons. Petal does have her backpack which luckily had her spell book and the special book that she had taken from the kingdom of Caradon, of which she has not yet spoken or explained anything to her allies why it was so important for her to have it. Uh, I do get asked about that book frequently. We're not there yet. But yes, she still has that book. It's important. So while they're there kind of hanging out, learning uh, you know, what had befallen, uh, they also learned that the nearby city of Dagger's Bay which uh, has a city built around a keep. Uh, the keep itself uh, in the city is run by uh, Captain Redbeard, who was an, a pirate who had retired and, and built up the trade city and was a very central area for trade within the area. Um, and the, they learned that ships from Daggers Bay had been recovering um, items and things from the sunken ship, Miss Dandelion. Um, and so their belief was that some of those goods may have made it to Dagger's Bay. Maybe they can get some of their stuff back. So they made a plan to go to Dagger's Bay. Brota is going to take them. Again, he and his community have traded pearls there for stuff uh, for a while. So he's known there and, you know, decent trade. He's not unwanted or anything. He's, he's friendly with them. So they decided to head that way. Before going, they learned the story of Brota, who turns out was a warrior who led all the Minotaurs that were here. Uh, very successful young general if you would, or captain, whatever the case would be, uh, only to learn that his people were misled in fighting for unethical reasons, and so throwing down his... He took his trident, his family trident, and walked off the field of battle. His uh, people followed him, and uh, he basically swore off ever fighting again. His people did in kind, trusting in him and his leadership so much, uh, they adopted that lifestyle. So they went to Dagger's Bay, and once they arrived there, um, looking around, doing a little bit of shopping, Artists felt a presence spinning around. There was Quintius, or at least the specter of Quintius, the human form of him, uh, who we ended by saying that he had been taken. 
and that he looked, and when she saw him, he looked very weak. He looked unwell, which is something that's never happened, considering he's just a, so almost basically an illusion it's a, of, of his true form is the magical scepter itself. Um, but that's kind of where we ended off last time. Gord really wants to know what the book is for. Many people do, my friend. Many people do. Maybe one day I'll tell you. I make no promises. <laughs> so we're going to jump in today's story. So today's story is uh, a bit going to be a bit on the shorter side. It's an hour or so here, but uh, won't be as long as some of the other episodes, just because I'm setting us up for the next episode to be a little bit longer, because there's a lot I need to accomplish in it. So where we're going to begin today is right where we left off, where Artis uh, had just seen Quintius, and Quintius had said, um, you have to help, I've been taken. Uh, for those of you who may not have been here for some of the earlier Quintius information, uh, Quintius can speak to her in this form, but he is limited by range. So if he was at the bottom of the Central Sea, which is the where the ship sank, he would be far, far too, away to, uh, too far away to be able to project to her at this point. So he has to be somewhere within a decent amount of range for him to be able to show up. And so that's where we're going to continue. We're going to start off with a little bit of reading as we do before we get deep into the story. So, here we go. Quintius, exclaimed Artis happily. You're okay. I've been so worried. Artis's friends all smiled, while Broda stared confused. Because they didn't tell Broda anything about Quintius. There wouldn't have been really any reason to. Maeve knew Artis had taken Quintius's loss much harder than she'd let on. He had become a friend and confidant for the princess, and Maeve had heard her often talking and sometimes even laughing with the specter that only she could see. And that's important, you know what I mean? It's, uh, I mean, she's very close with Maeve. There's nothing she couldn't share with Maeve by any means. But Quintius is incredibly knowledgeable, right? Not only um, just for the fact that he's existed for tens of thousands, literally over 10,000 years, is, I believe is what I quoted at that. He's been around for a very long time from his home world. And while he has some of the memory of that, not all of it's there, he does sleep for long periods or go dormant until awoken by the goddess of light because he is a clerical artifact, not a mage artifact. He was created by, actually, himself and uh, his spirit imbued into it by the goddess of light herself. So um, it is, he is a clerical artifact, not a mage artifact. And that's important. That's a distinction we want to remember. Uh, moving forward in this adventure uh, for, for many reasons. Uh, but because of that, he also literally receives information directly from the goddess of light. Um, not as in, like, she pops in and says, hey, Quintius, here's some stuff I want you to know. He just suddenly has knowledge and knows that that knowledge has been bequeathed to him, if you will. Um, so he just suddenly knows things he's meant to know, but he only knows what she gives him. So he doesn't know everything. He's not omnipotent by any means omnipotent, however you want to pronounce it. He is, uh, he still is limited with what his own range is. He can see things around him. He can sense them magically um, up to that given range that we spoke about. And you got to remember, he was in the castle, or Serenity Castle, Serenity Keep, since before she was born, and had appeared as she was growing up as an imaginary friend that everyone just assumed was fake, and that she'd forgotten about because he disappeared for a time until she was old enough for him to start appearing again as a more of a, a guiding uh, force, kind of a, um, an advisor, if you will. And that's m very often much of the role that he takes, not so much as a, someone she can tell secrets to she can't tell anyone else, but an advisor, hey, what do you think we should do here? What's going on? 
Um, and he's never really one to tell her, here's what you should do. But he's very good at laying out the facts. Well, here's what we know. Here's what could happen. Here's the pros. Here's the cons. This is what are the possible outcomes of your decision uh, to help her make the best decision possible. And it helps when you know you're speaking to someone that has no personal stake in the matter, right? Because he has nothing to gain. He's not looking for riches or power. Um, while it does appear that he has emotions, like he you know, may laugh along, he's not like a robot or anything like that. He, he is, he is uh, fully evolved emotionally. Um, he doesn't have any stake, if you will. He's, he's doing what the goddess bids. So he's going to try to do what's best for them and for their mission, if he possibly can. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's nice to have someone you don't have to worry about has a personal stake in the case. Um, we should all be so lucky. So, of course, losing that, especially considering she took that artifact from her parents, her armory, right? Even though she was allowed to. She took that. She entrusted herself with something they'd held on to for a very long time and an artifact of that much power, and she lost it. You know, there's going to be a lot of guilt there, losing a friend, as well as such a responsibility that a, a goddess of light, the head goddess of good, if you will, put him in her hands. Uh, she was feeling pretty bad about that. So the fact that he's now here feels much better about it. Of course, where are you? <laughs> she asked. That'd be the first question. That totally makes sense. I am somewhere in the keep above the city, replied Quintius. He looked towards the keep nervously. I cannot speak to you long. There is a powerful wizard there who has been attempting to access my power. I am having to keep my powers reserved to repel him. I, along with many of your items from the ship, were recovered and brought to the keep. You must find a way to recover me he continued. The mage's power is unnaturally strong, and I fear with enough time he may break down my wards of defense. If he succeeds, it could well be catastrophic. So, saying that, I want to step into something I mentioned a moment ago. This is a mage trying to access the clerical artifact. And however he is, he's trying to use magic, which would have to be considerable to break down the wards that are built within there, right? Hello, Rose. I'm doing well, thank you. Hopefully you are as well. Just telling stories. Haven't seen you in a little while. <laughs> Welcome back. Um, but it's a mage trying to tap into or access the powers, which means the mage has to have some idea that there's power hidden in there, which in itself is not easy to do, right? Because in the past, when the scepter was first found, Quintius, no one could identify other than to tell it was something of power, Illusion, it seemed powerful, but it, there was that sense it was more powerful than it appeared. Uh, this mage is tapping into that and trying to access it. And Quintius is having to actively fight it against that. And he's afraid the mage, if successful, could be catastrophic. I'll get you back, I, pr I promise, said Artis. Her friends could hear the concern in her voice. And you got to remember, they're only seeing or only hearing her side of the conversation. They don't know what he just said. But hearing that, you know, I'll get you back, I promise, and there being concern in her voice is not a good sign. Quintius nodded, then quickly looked up to the keep. He is returning, and I must go. Please be careful, Artis. This wizard is not to be underestimated. I, I also believe he may be responsible for the sinking of the ship. Please take care. Uh, let's see. Want to, oh, Rose says, want to say I'm a member of you. Two years, two months, and seven days. With me a long time, Rose. I appreciate it. Rose is 
uh, Rosalina Robin has been a, a one part of my membership program that I talked about at the beginning of the stream uh, for over two years, two months, and seven days. And I appreciate your continued support, Rose. Thank you. Hopefully you're doing well. It wouldn't be a long time. There's not a lot of people to hit that. MT there has not a lot of people have hit that uh, milestone. So congratulations. So Quintius faded from sight. An artist took a moment to take in all she'd been told. And after a brief explanation to Broda what Quintius was, she shared the news with the others. So you can imagine, right? First they got explained to Broda, okay, who is she talking to? She's talking to the thin air in the middle of this marketplace. And they would have stepped to a place where the conversation would have been a little, you know, private, right? They're not going to just be yelling out loudly and surrounded by people wondering who this cleric is talking to herself in a weird way. Her friends... Uh, knowing Quintius, and once they sense that she's talking to him, would have kind of closed around her to kind of make that seem like she's maybe talking to them. Broda, being completely confused, of course, has now explained, hey, this is what Quintius is. He's an artifact scepter, blah, 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 all the things you and I just talked about here in the story. Um, so she shares that information with her friends, everything she just learned, including the fact that Quintius believes that it's possible that the wizard had something to do with the sinking of their ship. Now, he didn't say he did. He said he believes that he may have something to do with that. And, of course, as you can imagine, Pedal takes that news the hardest. This maid shunk, sunk the ship, she asked in disbelief. He killed Captain Lyman and our friends. Her little fist clenched in anger. I'm going to kill him she said flatly. Like, straight up. Like, uh, Petal being a half-kender, half-human. Uh, she's got that lightheartedness, but the human side of it, once in a while, she gets that serious moment when she's really emotionally strong on something, right? Whether she's really sad, really happy. She has that moment of just clear, you know, the way she, instead of coming off giddy like a kender, it's like, I'm going to kill him. This is going to happen. If he killed Lyman and sunk the ship and killed the rest of the crew that were our friends, because some survived, some of the crew are back in Broda's camp right now. Remember that. Half the crew is still back there. They lost a little more than half the crew. So I'm going to kill him. Like This is just going to happen, if that's the case. Broda frowned sadly. Do not let anger and hatred guide you, little friend. Do not move to judgments without first knowing all the facts. Violence begets violence and things can quickly get out of hand. So again, right, pacifist. It's like, hey now, before we jump to violence, let's be cool. Let's make sure we know what's happening. Maeve stepped towards the other minotaur and glared at him angrily. If this bastard caused the death of our friends, innocent men and women, then the hammer of truth will bring a swift and violent end to their wretched existence. Because Maeve, again, paladin of truth, the epitome of goodness in this situation, to know that an evil force like that would have slaughtered their innocent friends and stuff. No, justice has got to be found for that. And by God, she's going to do it. Even though she uses a sword, uh, the hammer of justice is symbolic because that's one of the names of Zord, God of Truth. He is known as the hammer of truth and things of that nature. So when she says the hammer of justice, she doesn't literally mean hitting somebody with a war hammer, uh, which... I mean, she would if she had one at hand. She's okay with that. She can use one. <laughs> but the hammer of truth is more like the justice of our Lord, the God of truth, uh, will do so. Be calm, Maeve, said Artis, stepping between them. 
Brota only urges caution, and I agree with him. As in all things, we must seek the truth, and let us guide it. Artists then turn to Brota. But if the truth reveals these things to be true, justice will be served. Because remember, she's also a cleric of the God of Truth, right? They're both, they both serve the God of Truth. One is a cleric, one is a paladin. Although, originally, Maeve was growing up to be a cleric. She branched off and took the path of paladin when she had a uh, literally one-on-one -on -one with the God himself, made himself known to her. And you got to remember the words he said to her that, you know, in these times that are coming up ahead, you'll be tested. Art, artist is my chosen. She will be my voice and you must be my fist. You know what I mean? That's, that's your roles here. Artists will be the voice of truth in the times that are to come and you are my fist, a.k.a. you not only have to defend her, but you're the one who's going to deliver the punishments or the, or the uh, 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 justice, if you will, of truth when that time comes. And she takes that job very seriously. Broda nodded in understanding, bowing and stepping back. Artis knew he meant well, but like her friends, she too was furious at the prospect that their other friends, the crew, had been murdered. Still, she knew getting Quintius back had to come first. She didn't know what a mage could do with a holy artifact, and she had no intention of finding out. Same thing I mentioned before. She too is like, okay, this mage is trying to tap into this power. She can't really use it the normal way. That doesn't mean he might not be able to somehow drain or siphon or take the power for himself. And that's the last thing you want, someone to have a 10,000-year-old artifact's power at their disposal, especially if they already sound like they're pretty powerful. Something to worry about, right? So hearing this, knowing what's going on, they, of course, don't want to make any sudden moves. They don't know if they're being watched. Um, they've been cautious while they've been there already. Um, and the fact that it's a pirate community, uh, for those of you listening on audio, I'm doing the finger quotes, it is a pirate community uh, with a lot of above-the-board trade and a lot of under-the-board trade as well. Because, you know, um, seeing a cleric and paladin of truth walking around, uh, probably not the, the clerics you want to see the most if you're a pirate, right? Um, Artist still has her holy symbol and all of that, and while Maeve no longer wears a holy symbol. She normally had it, an, a an amulet and such, although it wasn't a holy symbol per se. She still wore a chain of office and such. Um, she has that on. That was still r around her neck and it did not come off. Uh, and people uh, would ask, well, how come it didn't fall off while she was swimming? Well, the chain didn't break. It's very strong. And number two, you have to unclasp it. There's no slipping a necklace off the head of a minotaur. They got freaking horns way out to here, right? Like, you're not going to be <laughs> just sliding a necklace up over that thing. You can't slide things on when you're a, a, a minotaur, which has often made me wonder how they would put a shirt on. That's just a personal side. I thought I'd share that. How do you put a shirt on? They, I'm assuming that's why they wore things like armor and toga and robes and stuff, because how do you slip your head through a, you know, a turtleneck or something? It's just weird. So I'd mention that. So right now, they're gonna sp they, they continue to spend a little bit more time in the marketplace. They don't want to rush things. They're still continuing what they were doing, looking around at shops, not really spending any money yet. It's kind of perusing. And what they were originally doing and still doing is looking to see if any of their gear, anything they could recognize for the ship, happens to be for sale, right? Because if so, they've got the money. Buying some of their items back might be useful. There might not be anybody around here who wants to buy a set of Paladin Minotaur armor. 
right? Who else would buy that? So may have interested in that. Oh, and it just happens to fit, right? Uh, but unfortunately, as they continue to move around the market and look in the different shops of the town, they don't see anything that they would recognize as specifically coming from the Miss Dandelion. Um, so unfortunately, no, nothing lucky there. As they're working their way down the street, looking in the shops and talking to people and so on and so forth, there are two things that they are doing. One is they're studying the town and studying the keep that's currently above them. Okay, So again, I want to accurately describe what this keep looks like. So this town is built on the edge of a cliff. And the cliff is like a hill going down, right? Okay, going up and down the side. So not away from the cliff, but the cliff itself is more angular. So down at the bottom where the cliff kind of meets the beach, that's where the docks are. That's where the ships come in. And then the town is built up this hill. And it's not like a straight up hill, but you know, in levels. But it goes up rather steep and until it gets to a very, very high height. It's almost like someone cut a, a small uh, mountain in half, right? Maybe not a mountain, but little mountain in half. And so that half is now where the cliff is and there's water underneath. Now, it's not a completely straight cliff. It's broken and jaggedy and stuff in area. And where the keep is built is at nearly the highest point. And the rock itself is fallen away from around it. So it's almost like if we were looking... Like, this is, the, your, this is the cliff going up and down here. For those of you... Okay, let me explain this in a way that's going to be good for the audio listeners. Uh, imagine if you put a castle on the edge of the cliff, and then on the two of the sides, you rip a chunk of it away. Right? So now, the keep is only accessible from the one direction. Because behind them's cliff. Now there's two cliffs on the side, with more cliff in a distance, but there's no bridges there, and it's way too far to jump. Right? Way, way too far to jump. Even a bridge would be hard to put across that span. But on the narrowest side, there's a road that leads up to that part of the cliff, and then there's, there's like a thin area which is guarded very, very well, walled around that with a walled gate, and the keep is up on top of it. It's a very good position to be in, because that's three sides you can't be attacked from. Because on the cliff sides, it literally goes down a great distance, and then there's the sea. And it's not just water, it's incredibly wavy, choppy, smacking against the cliffs kind of waves, which are very common in things like that. Very strong currents, which would imply that there's probably some holes or cave-likes under the water, potentially deep, that's causing a lot of currents. I've looked into this. <laughs> but I want to give that... That's, that's what they're seeing. They're, as they're going up the main road of this town, which is kind of winding up this hill, going towards the keep. They can see the keep up there. They're studying it and what they see about the town. The town is well guarded. Lots of soldiers and or men-at-arms walking around. Not really soldiers, per se, but guard for the city. Um, they're making their way up there. That's one of the first things they're doing. We're studying their position. So now, like, okay, we know Quintius is in there. How do we get him back? How do we get in there if we have to? They're all looking at these things, except for maybe Broda, who knows all of this information, is answering any questions they may have. The second thing they're doing is conversing with the people of the town, showing genuine interest in the area, because they don't know where they are. This is not an area they've ever been to in their lives. So maybe looking for things like maps, finding out about the other kingdoms in the area, which is more information than even Broda has, because he doesn't care. He lives in his small area, 
where his people are safe, and as long as he knows enough to keep them safe, he doesn't need to know where the whole stuff is. But Artemis and them are traveling, and they're traveling with a goal, remember. And that's what they're doing. They're asking, hey, has anybody seen a guy with long white hair? Maybe hanging out with a guy with short black hair, and then a really little gully dwarf with a really weird hairdo and tattoos. They're chasing after Seraph. They're hoping to find him. They don't know if he's found Dina at this point. So they're not asking about Dina, right? Even still, it's kind of hard to ask about Dina if she truly is. They know she's being taken and protected. They probably don't want to draw too much attention to Dina herself. So they're mostly trying to catch up to Seraph. And unfortunately, no one in this town has any recollection of seeing anyone that matches Seraph or Mugen, who are the two that would stand out. Deacon, not as much. Although, you know, Petal might describe him, you know, oh, he's a good-looking guy, and this and that, and he's a, you know, black hair, short, noble-looking, which he all is. He definitely has his uh, father's looks. But there's been no sighting from anyone that they speak to of anything about Seraph at all. So they're completely, they're completely being shut down in that area. So... As they're making their way up and uh, towards that, they're asking questions of Broda, and Broda says, yes, the water down below is incredibly strong and choppy. There's a whole bunch of jagged rocks down there from where this thing fell, the rocks fell from the side of that area long ago, before the keep was ever built, um, and is very, very strong currents, making it impossible to swim around there, um, just because you get pulled down and so on and so forth. Um, so... It's not that you can get to it from the cliffs. This is the only way in, right through through the main gate, which is overwhelmingly protected, much more than they could take out themselves. So they decide that they need to get some additional information. They need to kind of find out more information about what's going on in there, and they're going. They decide as a group that they're going to go ahead and leverage the fact that Artis is a cleric, which is very common. They do it in every city they go to. So they make their way to that gate, the main area, the blockade, if you will, to get up that road. Because there's walls that come down it, and then a wall at the bottom that's kind of semi-circled that goes to the two cliff sides, so there's no way around it. You'd have to go through this gateway or try to climb the, 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 the wall around the gate. So they make their way up there, and of course, as they're approaching, it's two minotaurs and their group, and artists who's clearly dressed as a cleric. Uh, so as they reach up, um, or as, as, they, as they walk up, uh, one of the guards, who clearly is a man of some rank, comes out a bit to meet them before they get there. The man immediately recognizes Brota and, you know, says hi. He greets him. Hello, Brota. It's been a while. Welcome. Glad to see you. Hopefully you're doing well. And the guy says, yes, commander, general, or captain, whatever his rank is, but not really by name. Brota knows him. He's seen him, but probably doesn't memorize his name. He's not that high of a rank person. He goes, yes, I'm here with some friends. They wanted to speak here if they can. An artist introduces herself. I am artist. I am a cleric of Zorn, god of truth. This is my, these are my companions. Maeve, who is a paladin of Zorn as well. Petal, mage. Who you can still, she's still wearing her mage outfit, so she still looks like mage. She was wearing that when the ship went down. So she's still dressed in her mage robes. And um, our allies, Kip and Ren, you know, who they introduce as men-at-arms. These are our guards. You know, so Garb's, you know, he can sometimes say, hey, Kip's a bard, if it's going to benefit them, or he's one of our, you know, protectors, our guards, if, it, if a bard would not be as, as beneficial in that situation. And Kip knows how to pull the, play the part either way. And uh, they, they immediately kind of get to it. They want to see if they can get any reactions. So Artis is like, yes, we 
actually, um, our ship sank about seven days ago off the coast here. There was a great storm and such, and the ship sank. Uh, fortunately, uh, we lost people, but um, a group of us managed to make it to shore where Broda and uh, his community was nice enough to help us out, help us uh, you know, uh, heal up our people and, and, and get back up and going again. Um, and so now that we've lost our ship, we've come here to this town, closest town, Broda recommended it, Broda said good people here, uh, as a place to get some supplies as we continue our travels east. Right? So they're setting that up as, hey, we're, we're passing through, and even though our ship sank, we're still intending on keep on going. You know, we're not trying to set up shop, because they understand pirates, clerics, not the best combo. <laughs> so, so we plan on continuing going, but we stopped here to gather supplies. And Broda brought us here. Um, as always, whenever a cleric of truth enters into a new town or city, it is tradition that they make themselves av available to the king or mayor or whoever the leader of that faction is to offer their assistance in any judicial matters. Right? We've talked about this and this has happened to this group in the past. As a cleric of truth, very often they are asked to step in and act as judge in disputes or trials and things of that nature. As again, someone who's only goal is to find the truth less likely to be biased or bought off by some, less likely, not impossible right, to be honest here but less likely that they're going to be biased in that type of a trial more likely just wanting to get to the truth of the matter and make sure the right thing is done so it is common for clerics, especially in their younger years of this type of cleric, to travel the land even just small villages in town that don't have big uh, leaders like kings and such and say, hey, I'm here. Are there any issues? I'm here to, to step in if you need me in that way. And a lot of people would love that, right? You think about that, especially in a small town, right? You're the mayor of that town and maybe there's a dispute between two factions and you're kind of friends with both of them and half your town wants one to win and half the town wants the other half to win. You don't want to be the one to make that choice because now you're in the middle of it, right? Here steps in a cleric say, oh yeah, this cleric? Perfect. She, who only cares about the truth and justice, will make this determination. Blame her for whatever decision gets made, right? And no one's going to blame the, the, the clergy in this situation, especially when they're saying, yes, we found this to be the truth. So it's very common for this to happen. So for them to, to walk up here and say, hey, even though we're passing through, can we offer our services to Captain Redbeard in this time for any matters? Um, and so you know, they ask, hey, we would love to, and, and so we, we've come to seek an audience with Redbeard to offer him that service. That's why we're here, to offer him those services. Um, the guard there is like, all right, well, he doesn't normally take visitors, but if you'll allow me a moment, I'll send someone up to the keep and we'll find out. Uh, and they're like, oh, okay, sure, definitely. So he steps back to the guards, and sure enough, they can see a guy running up the road, up the hill to get back up to the keep. Um, and he's gone for just a little while before they notice that now a small group of people are coming out of the keep and making their way down the road. Now, it appears to be several guards, and clearly the man in front is wearing robes, and his robes are of a deep blue color. 
Now, not the light blue that you would expect from a cleric of Helium, Tavian, like Artemis, uh, who's Seraph's mother, you know, main character. Uh, it's more of a deeper blue, and as he continues to get closer, uh, all of them, but primarily uh, Petal, her suspicions become true. The markings on his robes and the symbols that, that are aligned within it show him to be a mage of a specific profession. It's something we've talked about before. He is a sea mage. He is a mage who specializes in magics that involve the ocean or seas. Commonly found on ships or port cities, very often used to fight on those ships, whether it be to uh, you know, attack or defend against pirates and so on and so on, or help if you're a pirate, I guess the case would be. Um, uh, can also be used things like causing wind when there's no wind to make the sails go, you know, fireballs to burn the other ships, things of that nature, water breathing, or maybe the gathering of things from sunken ships. <gasps> well, a sea mage itself does not denote any type of alignment. You could be a good sea mage or you could be an evil sea mage. Sea mage is just a type of mage. It does not denote any type of specific alignment or following. Um, but definitely would make sense finding one in the situation that we're in. Okay? So as he arrives, the gates open and he walks through. He's got a big old smile on his face. He's got very short hair. He's starting to bald in the front of it. And very quickly they see that he's an elf. So he's an elven sea mage, which is a little less common to be found outside of elven societies. Not impossible, but less likely. <clears throat> he comes up and smiles and welcomes them to the town and introduces himself as Selenian. Selenian is in the employ of Captain Redbeard and has been for many, many years as an advisor and as a part of the governing parts of the town. He thanks them for coming and showing their interest and offer of assistance in judicial matters. He says that, unfortunately, they will not be able to meet with Captain Redbeard. He explains that, as a young man in his previous career, the captain made many, many enemies out on the seas. And since he's retired, he's retired, he has, on many occasions, had to survive different types of assassination attempts. There are still a lot of his enemies out there who'd like to see him dead. So as such, he has to be extra cautious and does not take public viewings uh, or, or, or meetings of that nature. But he sent Selenius out to speak on his behalf. Um, he, of course, says that uh, the captain is uh, happy to hear that you're here in our city, always welcoming new folks, and, and a pleasure, of course, to work with the clergy in any any situation that we can. Again, easy to see he's a sea mage. He says that uh, his people had explained to them what had happened, and he's appears genuinely very sorry for their loss, sad to hear that they were part of the ship that had sunk seven days ago, approximately seven, eight days ago at this point week ago. We'll say a week. A week ago. I'm so sorry to hear that you were part of that, but we are elated to hear that there were survivors. He says, in fact, some of the uh, wreckage of your ship was found by several fishermen here in town and was made aware to the captain, and he sent out his ships in the hopes of finding survivors. But sadly, 
none were found. And neither was anything of value of the ship. They looked to see if there was any assistance they could make, but sadly, the storm seems to have wiped everything and taken it to the bottom of the Central Sea. He does state that in this area specifically, ever since the Great Merging happened over 20-plus years ago, the waters in this area have been known to be suddenly struck with uh, unexpected, strong, and vicious storms. And he's very sad to hear that they were hit by one, and, of course, mourns the loss of their friends and loved ones. Offering condolences. Uh, he says, but yes, we unfortunately we're not able to find any survivors or anything of value that was recoverable from the ship. Which, at this point, they know is not true. Right? Somebody in there, Squintius, plus their little ship had gone out trying to find survivors and ran into the ship and they thought it was Brodus people. And, said, and it appeared that they were pulling things on the ship from the water at that point. <clears throat> so there's two things that would lead them to believe that there are goods of theirs here. <clears throat> of course, Selenius personally thanks Broda for stepping up to help these uh, poor souls who nearly drowned uh, and appreciates uh, his people's goodwill and camaraderie with the uh, city of Daggers Bay. He sees them as a part of this community, although not exact part of it. His community has always been open, and we're good to hear. It's always good to hear that we can still work together to help people as a common cause. All the political fluff you would expect to hear in these type of things, but basically the information they're receiving is no, you're not getting in, but in a much friendlier and diplomatic way. He does, of course offer any type of medical help or assistance to anyone in the crew who may be injured. says they do have access to some healers and healing supplies. If there's anyone that is uh, seriously injured, we would be happy to assist in their recovery. Artis, of course, thanks him and says, yes, we appreciate that. Fortunately, those of us who survived uh, did not suffer anything too serious and most are back in health at this point. To which, again, Selenius very happy to hear that at least the survivors are doing well. And again, they, while they appreciate Artis's offer to assist in matters of justice, it is well known that Captain Redbeard is a wise and just man who sees to all matters of justice personally. So they're uh, their assistance would not be needed at this time, which is okay anyways, because there isn't really anything going on that would require anyone, the captain included, to have to deal with any type of crimes or uh, injustices that are happening. Now, it's at this time that he kind of turns to Petal, right? Because Petal's a mage, clearly. He's a mage. There's protocol here. And he... Uh, specifically says that he's pleased to see that a sister of magic survived the ship uh, sinking as well and welcomes her to the city and if there's anything he can do to assist her he would be happy to do so and he makes the comment hopefully you did not lose too much in the sinking of your ship Pedal maybe a little too serious says that Sadly, they lost more than they should have. And Artis and Maeve, and everybody's looking at her like, 
Petal. Be calm, because she, you know, Petal's unhappy. She's very angry right now. Potentially at this mage, could be more than one mage in there. Broda did not know of how many mages or if there were mages living in there. It's not something he's ever had to seriously deal with in the several in the years that he's been living here. Which again, hasn't been that long. It's been about four or five years that their communities existed where it is right now. Because they traveled and they lived in merged worlds for quite a period of time before they got here. So he wasn't aware. He goes, I don't know if that you know, how many mages they have. If they have any at all. Or they could have a bunch. I don't know. So Petal's upset, but everybody, of course, artists, hey, we gotta get to the truth of the matter. We don't even know if this is the one. Although, he's being kind of smarmy, and we don't like that. Is the sensation that they're getting. But Petal maintains her calm, and uh, it doesn't say anything overly outside of what I just said there. Um, Selenian uh, also nods at this comment, but his, uh, his smile kind of breaks a little bit where he he doesn't seem too happy at her response. But he will nod, and he says, okay, I see that, yeah. He says, well, of course, um, uh, if there's anything else that we can uh, assist you or your, your people with, please do not be afraid to reach out and ask, and I would be happy to personally see to anything within our ability to do. But if you will excuse me, there are some matters in the keep that I do need to return to, um, and so I'm going to have to leave now. But I do... Uh, again, I'm here if you need anything. You know, if you need me, I'm right here. Open door policy, except don't come in the door. <laughs> open door policy, but you can only come to the door, and I will come out and meet you at the door. So it's a relatively open door policy, as long as you don't walk through. And, of course, you know, they cordially say, thank you very much as well. We'll be here in the area for a few days before we move on. Staying with Broda's people, so at the same time, if there is anything we can help you with, Please, as well, don't be afraid to reach out to us. He gives a professional nod of courtesy. Thank you. And then uh, Selenius turns, and followed by the several guards that came with him, make their way back through the gates, which close behind him. So the group, of course, turns to leave and begins making their way back down the street. Back down towards the dock area that they originally came. They came from that way, making their way down back into the town itself proper. Because the town and the keep, there is a bit of space there. The town ends a couple hundred yards, then there's the keep. There's a little buffer area there. So they make their way back into the things away from the guards and from their, their prying eyes and ears. And they all kind of stop around a store as if they're looking at the window, but really it's a moment for them to speak. And as soon as they stop, artists, they all just kind of stop and they all look at artists. And artists is like, he was lying. <laughs> and Broda's, Broda, of course, doesn't know. He goes, really? How is it you know that? Artist just kind of smiles and says, well, it's, it's my calling and my gift. You know, that's part of what she does. Seeing, you can't, doesn't know the truth, but yes. Can, the ability to see or sense or tell when someone is lying uh, she has that ability. It's a common ability of a cleric of truth. It's why people are so guarded, and very many people are nervous when talking to a cleric of truth, for fear that they might say something that gives that away. Uh, the Selenius was very careful to speak in general and broad terms, but when he said we recovered nothing, she already knew that not to be the case anyways, but could clearly tell that he was aware he was telling a lie as well. And some of this is, isn't magic or anything. It's literally that the type of training that 
people would go through even in our world, right? Your police officers, FBI, CIA, spy, all that kind of stuff. Learning to tell the tells of people when they lie, things they may not even realize it. That whole look to the left thing. I'm sure if you've ever watched anything about crime dramas, you've heard about those type of things. They exist, and they exist for a reason. And so someone who is being raised and trained to seek the truth and uh, you know, to be able to tell the truth and make judgments based on that are going to be trained in those type of things as well. Here's what we've learned. Here's what you have to watch for, ways to tell if someone's lying. So it's not a magical gift, although there can be a touch of that. And the ability to cast detect lie is one of her granted powers that she can do every day um, as a cleric of truth. But it is still casting a spell. And very often, you know, depending on how you cast that, the other person, especially if they're a mage, might know that they've had a spell cast upon them, right? It's kind of hard to hide that. So she, you know, that's more used in trial to push for the truth, right? Uh, let's see. Oh, hello, Hanzo. <laughs> Went all right. Thank you very much. And I hope the rest of your day goes well. Thank you, sir. Welcome by. Uh, sippy, sippy of apple juice. Okay. So, explaining that, we're like, okay, we know that he's lying. Now we, have to, now, we have to, now we have to start making some plans. We have to figure some things out. And they start making their way back into the town, and now they're shopping for real. Now they're not just looking for their stuff and information. Now they're going to gather some things. Maeve needs a weapon. Hands down. First thing. Maeve, Ran, Kip, Artis, all of them need a weapon. Petal could probably get a, you know, a quarter staff. She could probably make one of those pretty easily. You know, all she needs is a good piece of wood. But uh, her powers are her magic, and she still has her dagger with her. Um, she didn't lose that in the stuff, because she got thrown into the boat pretty quickly, right? Remember? We talked about that. Um, but they start gathering weapons for them, as well as purchasing additional weapons for members of their crew. Right? They're, they're not alone here. They still have... About eight people who survived the, the sinking. It was, it was a small ship. It wasn't a huge one. So the crew was less than 20 people. Um, pl plus our heroes, right? So they lost a little more than half the crew. So there's about eight people left um, that survived uh, across the two ships. So, or the two uh, lifeboats that escaped. And so they're gaining weapons for them as well. So they're buying decent quality swords... Probably not going to be buying a lot of armor because let's be honest, they got to carry all this stuff back, and they also don't want to be too obvious because they're hanging out with Broda, who everyone knows his community to be pacifist. So they can't be buying a ton of weapons because that's also going to look kind of fishy. But they came to say, yes, our ship sank, and we have eight guards who protect us, and we need to make sure they're armed to so we can continue our journey. Very easy cover story. So they get some basic swords. They probably get a bunch of long swords or short swords. Get some daggers if they can. Some basic stuff like that. Maybe even a crossbow or two. Uh, crossbows very commonly used by members of ships. Bows and crossbows. But crossbows, a little bit more general. So they, uh, they start buying some of this goods. Really don't have the money for armor. And let's be honest, no one's going to have anything Maeve-sized anyways. Right, female mentor? Her armor was very, very special and specific. It was paladin armor um, that was made for her specifically and purchased and designed by the paladin mentor she had back in Serenity, right? Had it made for her before, he, uh, before she was accepted as part of their uh, paladin association, if you will. So they're getting some of that gear. 
Um, now, as they're doing that, making their way, they, the conversation, when they can talk about it openly, is how do we get in? What did we see? And everybody starts, well, I noticed this about this. There was this many guards. This is about the distance between the gate and the this. You know what I mean? They're, they're trying to share that information and try to figure out a way to get in. Um, now, when they're buying these weapons, Broda does make a request that he's like, well, I understand you need these weapons and these are for you and your people. That's perfectly fine. I have no problem with that, but I'm going to ask that while you are among my people, you keep your weapons sheep. You know what I mean? I'm not even saying you can't carry them around. I don't want sparring. I don't want fighting. I don't want to see your weapons drawn around my people. If you need to spar, you need to move out of town for a while and then come back in with it. That type of thing I don't want around my people. Most of my people are warriors. I don't want any of them stepping in or feeling the temptation to get involved with this. You know what I mean? That's, that's, that's not how we are. And artists, of course, 100%. We understand that. That is not a problem at all. Maeve, a little frustrated, again, with the, this talk of pacifism. She just doesn't understand it. But um, they do agree, yes, that's fine. We'll keep our weapons. Everybody knows how to fight already anyways. We don't need to train anybody. Our people are capable. And so, after all this going on, they start to gather their stuff. They decide they're going to get themselves something to eat, stop by a street vendor, get some food. And they kind of make their way to a little area, kind of on the edge of the cliff, right? Or kind of the edge of the cliff where they can kind of look down at the water. They can see the keep. They can kind of look down, and they try to talk about what's going on. And artists and Brota and Petal are kind of sitting there talking about, well, here's what I know, and giving them some information. Ran and Kip step off to have a couple minutes alone together. As we know, they're, they're in a relationship. They want to go off and have a little conversation. Nothing funky. They're still in view. But they're, they're stepping off to have a few moments together. And Maeve kind of goes and sits by the edge of the cliff and is looking down and just watch, looking at the keep and, and studying it and seeing what, you know, what, what type of things she might be able to come up with all while sitting there eating her, eating her food, whatever it is. So as she's sitting there nomming on this giant, what looks like deer leg, which would have fed probably everybody in the party but the Minotaurs. She's sitting there nomming on that. Well, because much of we've talked about this, like her father, uh, her uh, appetite is legendary. <laughs> so she's sitting there chomping away on this huge bone leg of a deer kind of a thing um, while, they're, uh, while they're sitting there doing all of this stuff. Um, now... Maybe sitting there, eating on the big leg. Uh, as she's sitting there, she can hear someone approaching. And from the footsteps, she knows it's Broda, just because he's big and she recognizes heavy footsteps. He walks up and she looks up and she, he, uh, he asks, may I join you? Which she, she nods and says, fine. He kind of sits down next to her and he's eating his deer leg or whatever he's eating. Um, and he apologizes. He says, I'm, I, I want to say I'm sorry. I apologize if my words earlier... Uh, offended you. Please know that was not my intention in any way. Okay? I did not mean to, you know, A, tell you what to do by any means. I understand you. I am not your leader <laughs> by any means. Um, but my words did not mean to do that. I only meant to say that I understand the path you're walking on. I myself walked on it for the most of my life, for a very long time. And I know that on that path, I would hate for you to have to kind of go through what I did to basically dish out what you believe to be justice only to find that it was ill-placed, right? I'm not telling you not to fight. 
I'm not telling you how to live. I'm just saying I had, the experience I had was that I fought for something I thought was true and was not. And I don't want to see anyone else have to go through that ever either. Especially someone yourself who is dedicated to truth just by the nature of your calling and such. So I apologize if my words came off incorrectly. That was not my intentions. And he promises, he says, as well, I and my people will do everything within our power to help you and your friends get back that which you lost. But we will not fight. We will not take a life. We will not assist in the taking of life. A.K.A. we're not setting up traps. <laughs> we're not doing anything that would be taking of the lives. I'll help you in any way I can. You need supplies. You need whatever. You need, by all means. But we will not help you fight. That is not our path. Maeve accepts his apology and thanks him for his offer. And they just kind of sit there quietly for a minute, nomming on their food. Um, Maeve's kind of a little lost in throat, because Broda confuses her, right? Broda confuses her. She doesn't understand that lifestyle. And not because she's a you know, warmonger, someone who's always up for the fight or anything like that. She was raised way better than that. Um... He speaks to her like they're equals, which is good. He doesn't speak down to her or anything like many leaders or some, some people could. Um, and when he speaks, he speaks from a place of wisdom and experience. He's not just all cocky or anything like that. In many ways, speaks to her many of the same ways that her father Darsh does. Which, to her, is like, that's good. That's a good sign. That's a sign of a good leader, and I respect that. But she's really struggling with the whole pacifist side. Because while she understands what he went through, there are still things in the world worth fighting for. There are evil things out there to be fought against, and there are good things to fight in the name of. There are still reasons to fight. Not because you enjoy fighting, but because there's a reason to do good. And if you have that capability to fight for what is right, it is remiss not to do so. And that's partially what she's learned from growing up in Serenity, which is a perfect epitome of that, of that example, right? Or example of, of, of that mindset. It is we exist because we wanted to protect people. We wanted to protect them and keep them safe and build a place where everyone was welcome. And Serenity has been that from day one. And she spent a large part of her life growing up in that mindset as a paladin, now searching out for truth. All of that goes hand in hand, fighting for what is right. It's her capable, it's it's her responsibility. And she sees Brodus shirking that responsibility, especially if she's if he's got people that follow him and he was a good fighter, from what she hears, an excellent fighter. How much good could he be doing in that role? So that, that's what confuses her, you know, how he would get to that point instead of say, okay, I fought for evil, why am I not fighting for good? You know what I mean? Because there's different paths he could have taken there. So while they're sitting there kind of, uh, you know, eating their food, Kip and Ran end up coming, walking on over. And they call over artists and them to say, hey, come here for a minute. And everybody kind of draws over and, and Ran draws attention to something. He says, try not to be all overt about it, but he's like, Look over there at the keep. Look down close near the water. Not near the water, but several hundred feet above the water line. See those dark spots? I think those are caves. 
Those look like caves, or at least small caves anyways. But the fact that I can see them from here, a person could clearly fit into them. And Broda nods and agrees, yes, there are, but from what I know, there are several small caves and such up throughout the rock, not just there, but just in the cliffs in general, although uh, there are no tunnels that lead to those caves. There's no way to you know, get in and around. It's separate like that. There's no way to do that. And to his understanding, those caves are barred. There are bars blocking them. You can't just climb up into them. They're not idiots up there. If there's caves that could kindly get to them, they have some type of blocking. He doesn't know if they're guarded or not. He's never been in there, but you know, from his understanding, it's come up in a conversation at one point that those things are barred. He goes, besides, even if they weren't, you're talking several hundred feet of climbing up a sheer rock face that is wet and very likely mossy, moldy, things of that nature. And so he says, you know, about almost, almost a third, if not half of the way up, they see some of these caves. Um, but the climb to get to them is basically impossible. Maeve, looking at the water, and said, I know you've mentioned that boats can't get in there, but what about the life rafts? If we tried to bring the life rafts in there, into this little inlet of water, are they small enough that they might be able to navigate through the rocks? And Broda shakes his head. He's like, no, the, the, the currents and such are so strong, the water pulls so hard that... Um, while it wouldn't pull the ship under by any means, it would smash it against the rocks. I mean, the, they wouldn't make it barely a few feet into the little bay area of that before they would be destroyed. There's no way they're going to make that in there either. Um, and then again, like I said, if once you're in the water, you know, you could try to swim it, but if you hit the wrong current, it's going to pull you right under. And then you may never resurface again. This he just knows from his own knowledge and living in this area this time. So everybody kind of sits there silently for a moment, and they're like, oh, crap, because well, we thought that maybe it was an inn for a second. And then Kip says, let me ask you something else, Broda. What about your surfboards? The boards that you and your people use to, you know, what do you call it, glide on the water. They're small, and you float on them almost like a boat. I've seen you do it paddling. You're above the water. There's less chance of a current pulling you under. And you use them to literally walk on the waves, waves being a part of the problem. Are they small enough that you could navigate potentially to the rocks at least enough to get to the base of the cliff? Potentially below where those caves are. And Broda stops and thinks about it. He's looking down into the water and says, it's possible, yes. I mean, the boards are maneuverable enough that you could possibly avoid the rocks. If you did hit the rocks, there's a chance it could break your board, or if anything knock you off, you might be able to even get back on again. It would be able to handle the waves, possibly, again, depending on how bad the water is at the time. But even again, if you can get those on boards, if we could get on the boards and get to the bottom of the, the rocks, you still have hundreds of feet of wet mossy, sheer cliff face that you would have to somehow manage to climb before you even reach the bars. Ran looks at Petal for a minute. Petal kind of looks at Ran and just kind of nods. And Ran smiles and he goes, leave the climbing in the bars to Petal and I. We, we can take care of that. Because remember, Ran, like his father, sneaky guy, warrior, sneaky. And he's also an expert climber. And Petal, just by the nature of being a half-gender, 
technically not even counting your magic, also very agile and able to do so. The two of them believe we could probably climb this. As for the bars up there, Petal's given me the nod that she thinks she might be able to do something about the bars. And if we can get in there, find a way to, say, tie off ropes to something, then there would be something for the rest of you to climb up. This could be our way in. Um, and uh, Broda's just kind of looking there, and he seems a little nervous, like, oh, God, you're pulling us into this. And he says, uh, Artist looks at him hopefully and says, can we do it? Is it possible? And Broda says, perhaps. Riding the waves is, not, is difficult. It's not just something you do immediately. You would have to practice. You would... You'd have to learn. And for some, it will be easier than others. And he kind of side-looks Maeve, who gets another gruntled look on her face. For some people, it'll be harder than others. Because you can imagine, right? A minotaur, it, as heavy as a minotaur is, I mean, their board's much bigger. It's like, some of you, yeah, sure, you could probably pull this off. Um, possibly, yes. But on top of that, you're, I'm assuming you're talking with the added difficulty of having gear weapons, rope you're talking about at this point. Uh, that's going to make that even harder. Most of the time when we're serving, we're not laden down in supplies. You would have to have minimal amount of stuff if you're wanting to try to even pull this off. But then he kind of saw, and Maeve, 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 Maeve kind of, at this point, puts her hand on her arm and says, we only need enough to get to the bottom of the cliffs. Can you, can you teach us that? You know, I mean, I, we don't need to be out there riding waves and tsunamis and calabungas. We just, we just need to be able to get through this channel on the boards and get to them. Not even serving, just to paddling and guiding them. We just need to know how to get to that. Is that doable? Broda sighs and says, yes, my people can teach you enough basics to help you navigate the cliff. Uh, it's, you're still going to need a few days. It's not going to be, you know, five minutes. We're going to need a few days for you to practice, some of you more than others. But, yes, it's doable. Um, and again, it's going to be harder with wearing gear. Artist, artist who's already standing up kind of claps her hands and says, then we need to get started immediately. Time is of the essence. We can't wait. Um, as the longer we wait, the more likelihood that they're able to access Quintius, and we can't have that. So if we need time to, to get this down, we need to get to it right away. Everyone's like, Rhoda's like, okay, well, then let's go. Yeah, if, if that's what's going yes, my people and I can teach you that. That's not us hurting anyone. I can teach you how to navigate the water on the boards. Yes, we, I'm sure we have boards that'll work for you. And he looks at Pedal and he goes, you know, for some of you, human-sized boards, because human, it's not just the mentors that serve. Human boards, yeah, we've got boards for you. And some of the, ch the children who are learning will have a board small enough that'll work fine for Pedal. Um, so, yes, this is doable. And for a moment, they're like, excellent, okay, so they've got a bit of a hope now. You can see that the mood automatically lightens. And Broda, on the other hand, is looking more concerned while everyone else is excited at the prospect of, okay, we've found a way to potentially do this. So they gather up again their stuff and they start making their way back into the town so they can make their way down to head back home. They do have to stop and do a little bit more shopping now because now they need some additional things they weren't originally going to buy. They're going to need rope. 
They're going to need some climbing gear, hammer, pittance, things of that nature. St the best stuff they can get a hold of without drawing too much attention to those purchases. So they plan to buy other stuff as well, right? Maybe they can buy, you know, backpacks and cloth and a tent and other stuff to make it appear. This is for our journey, not we're going to try to scale your keep over there. As they begin to make their way down back into town to make these final purchases, Artis takes one look back to the keep. And in her mind, all she can think is, hold on, Quintius, we're coming. Now, as this conversation is going on, not too far away up in the keep, Selenius is standing there, uh, standing at the keep's outer walls, speaking to the captain of their guard. I don't trust them he said. No one should have survived that storm. These people may be as powerful as the items they carried. If they know we have them, they might start trouble. Trouble that we don't need. Have someone keep an eye on them. End Broda's people. Do you think Broda would fight for them? The captain asked. I don't know, replied the mage. Broda's people have always claimed to live peacefully and have never caused any trouble. Still, one of the survivors was a minotaur, and a female at that. There's no saying what type of sway she may have with his people. If given enough motivation, they might join their cause, and that is definitely not something we need. A group of minotaurs running up our streets. Send someone out there to watch both of them. Check back in with me regularly. I need to know everything they're doing, and find out as much about them as they can. The captain saluted and left to carry out his orders. Selenian lingered there a few moments longer, lost in thought. He didn't like this one bit. How did people so young manage to gather so many items of power and wealth? Right? So that means he, they do have a bunch of their gear, right? Because they had other magic items. They had gears. They probably had you know, rings of protection, whatever. And the, he's, with his magic, managed to gather a lot of it, if not all of value, off of the... Miss Dandelion. So a large amount of their good stuff is in the keep. And he says, wow, there's a lot of stuff here. Now he sees who is there. It's like, these are little more than kids, young adults, most of them, except for the half-elf, because it's a half-elf, and who knows how old he is. Half-elves, it's so hard to tell how old they are. Elves, too, but half-elves as well. He's like, that is a lot of stuff, especially Quintius. He doesn't know his name, but that's a lot of stuff for them to have gathered in small means. This is not a group to be trifled with. I need to know more about them. Turning, he made his way back into the keep. He was getting closer to cracking the secrets of the scepter, and he now felt as well that time was of the essence. So, Selenius is on to them as he's on to them. Listen, I, there's more to them than they thought. And I don't think they're just passing through. They may know we have their stuff. And he knows there's powerful stuff. He's a wizard, cast identify, right? He's identified the rings and the basic stuff. He can see this is magic paladin armor, and here's this, and a holy symbol, and a magic dagger, whatever they got a hold of, whatever they were able to save. There's probably a fair amount of it. It would have been very appealing to a wizard, right? But then there's the scepter as well. He's like, this I know is magical, and I'm getting closer to cracking it. I don't, he doesn't, he may not know that it's uh, has an intelligence, that it has a living soul inside of it, uh, but he just may be thinking of having to break down the wards and runes that are on it. But he may also be thinking maybe those wards and runes 
were put there by this cleric, right? It seems older than she is, so that's not likely, but who knows what else she's done to it. Maybe if she gets a hold of it, can open up a can of worms that he doesn't want them opened either. So he now is in a, feels like he's in a race to break into or break past the defenses of Quintius before anything untoward happens. Well, Artis and her friends gather the supplies they need and return to Broda's people so that Broda and his people can teach them the very, very basics that will hopefully allow them to use their uh, water boards to maneuver to the keep and find their way inside and return their missing goods. That training, and what becomes of it, is where we'll be starting next episode. <laughs> Not today. Um, now, uh, that's where we're going to end for today. Okay, um, I did want to say that... Let me grab my calendar here. I need to give everybody there a little heads up. Um, so... Let me see, let me see, let me see. So the next episode is the 4th of April. For those of you wondering, this was uh, streamed live on March the 21st. So the next one is on the 4th. Okay, I just needed to check on that real quick and make sure that it did not conflict uh, with some plans because a couple days before that, myself and some friends and my wife are going to be going and seeing the new Dungeons & Dragons movie. Let me begin by saying they are not a sponsor. But by God, I'd give an arm to get that. But <laughs> no, I'm just interested in seeing it myself. I've heard real good things. As a D&D &D fan, I'm definitely going to be checking it out opening weekend. We're going to be going this Sunday, which is the second. And I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Um, uh, the trailers I've been following since they first started putting them out. And uh, it really looks like an old school adventure. And I like that they're showing a lot of the classic monsters. If you've seen the trailers, there's gelatinous cubes, displacer beasts, right? Uh, mimics. Uh, the dragon is not a fire dragon, which is nice. So nice to have a dragon that's not breathing fire, you know, using one of the many other dragons that exist in D&D. &D. Uh, so I'm very excited to jump in and uh, see that movie. So um, uh, as I mentioned here sometime in the near future, I am still looking to do a special episode uh, on an off night that's more of an AMA where we talk about uh, merged worlds where you can ask questions, I can respond, I do one every so often, uh, as well as talking about second edition Dungeons and Dragons, which is what I play, which is what all of my story and my campaign has been based on. Um, I've had a lot of questions about how second works and how my game works, so uh, we are going to, uh, I'm going to set something up for that. I may do it on one, of, normally I don't stream on Thursdays, I might do a Thursday stream here uh, sometime in April, so uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, T. Graham says, that was amazing. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it, Graham. Thank you. Uh, again, it's this is episode 98, right? Yes, 98, 99. Two episodes. Oh, my goodness. Two episodes from now is episode 100. All right, I'm going to plan something special for episode 100. I don't know what yet. I kind of know, but I don't want to tell you. So <laughs> I'm going to have something special for episode 100. Uh, so I really hope some of you will continue to follow along uh, and join my Discord because there's going to be some special things for Episode 100 and Merged Worlds specific event going on in there as well. Uh, link for that is down in my description or you can find it uh, on my website, onlydraven.com. Links to my Discord and all my socials are there as well. Um, but yeah, that's going to do us for today. Uh, again, thank you all so very much for coming. If you had a good time, even if you're watching this 10 years down the road, please remember to click that like button, subscribe to the channel if you haven't. And if you have a Spotify or iTunes account, it would be super if you wouldn't mind giving the podcast a follow or on, uh, 
it's on all of them. It's on Google Podcasts. It's on Amazon Podcasts. Uh, if you wouldn't mind giving it a follow, giving it the five stars and the ratings, and the if you want to write a review, that would be boss. Uh, the more of that stuff happens, the more it will recommend this story to other people, and I just want to share my story with as many people as I can. All right? But that is going to do me for today. Thank you again so very much for giving me an opportunity to share my story. It's a passion uh, of mine, and uh, I thank you so much for being an audience and letting me share it. Uh, come back here again in two weeks, and we'll tell a little bit more story, all right? Thank you for visiting Merge Worlds. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.